Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Second Chance. I'm your host, Raphael Rowe. In this week's Retake 7, we're going to episode 74 with our head of fundraising, Jamie Hunt. He asked me questions about how, from the success of the Netflix series Inside the World's Toughest Prisons, the Raphael Rowe Foundation was founded. We talked about why there is a need to improve basic human rights in prisons around the world. To find out more about the Foundation's work, you can visit our website, rafaelrowefoundation.org. Our determination to end the dehumanisation of people in prison and build safer societies is very much driven by the public's demand for change. Inside the World's Toughest Prisons actually shows in a lot of these facilities that People are not being treated like people in many instances. That must be really tough when you are building rapport, gaining that trust to come in with a camera crew and get into quite a personal space. But then from your side, that must be quite tough as well. How do you compartmentalize being a journalist where you've got to get some facts, but also being a human being that can relate to being in a prison and talking to people who, rightly or wrongly, are, have been convicted of some, some pretty bad things. That must be quite tough psychologically for you as a journalist. I think the first thing to say, and it's the easiest thing to say, is I've been there, Jamie. You know, I've sat in that prison cell and I've been judged in the same way that these individuals are being judged, either by the criminal justice system, by society, by journalists who go in and interview these people who have a particular agenda. So I was one of those people. I was one of those people. Although I was innocent, I was still a convicted murderer in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of people that were looking on me. I knew that I wasn't that person. So I know what it feels like to be wrongly judged. Now, I just extend that to convicted people, people who are guilty of their crime. Now, instead of them judging, instead of me judging them on the crime that they've committed, I judge them 
on the person I meet. Long before I discover, in most instances, there are a couple of occasions where I have to know what they've done. The authorities may insist that I know what they've done before I go into that cell because they could pose a real threat to me because they could be psychologically or psychiatrically challenging and they have mental health issues. So I don't judge individuals for what they've done. I discover who they are first and foremost. And then if I discover that they've done something horrendous, which in most cases they have, then my, I suppose, judgment of that person does change naturally as it does the viewer when they discover, like in the Moldova episode in season six, you know, I meet and have some fun with my two cellmates and we're singing and we're having fun. And then I speak to one of them and he tells me he's in for a double murder. He killed an old woman and a young woman in a very brutal way. And my whole persona towards him changed. And that's natural. He felt that. I felt that. And I didn't hide that fact. I told him that knowing what he's done now, I see him differently and I can't help but see him differently. You know, before I was looking him in the eyes and I was thinking, you're a man who spent 17 years in prison. That's why you have such dark eyes. But all of a sudden, I know he's committed a double murder in such an horrendous way that maybe that's why his eyes are so dark, because he has the image of what he'd done in his mind all the time. So that's pretty evident. In terms of compartmentizing, well, I have a technique. And it's something that I used during my own time in prison when I was suffering. And it's often one of the things is I would, during a really tough day, I'd have a shower. And when I had a shower, the water from the shower would, you know, the droplets of water would hit my body. And every time the water hit my body, I was trying to wash away those days' thoughts, those negativities. I tried to use that as a way to cope with being wrongly imprisoned. And I use that as part of the professionalism that when I come out of these prisons, having been there for seven days, I try and wash away all of the stories, the harrowing stories or the details, even where I have empathy and sympathy, because I cannot take that home with me. I cannot take it back into my everyday life or it would haunt me. Now, that's not to say that, you know, back in England, when I'm back in my family home and I'm, you know, kind of normalizing my life again, I don't have memories or moments where I remember some of the stories. But again, that's what drove me to set up the foundation um, based on, you, you know, the lack of opportunity for, for prisoners. And so my kind of compartmentizing is I'm a professional and I, I, I try and have been doing it for such a long time. I try not to bring what I'm hearing in that environment into my everyday life. It's challenging and it's difficult but I've been pretty good at, at doing it, I think. Wow. So you mentioned the foundation. I'm going to get on to that in a few moments. Just on this next series, you mentioned Moldova. There's also Bosnia, Cyprus, I believe, and one more. Greece. Greece. Whether or not, so this question either for Series 6 or any of the other episodes, if you can think over the last few years, Raphael, are there some key memorable events either on camera or off camera, that will stay with you, that you really think, wow, that has had a big impact on me, either positive or negative, some real impactful things. In the early days when I was doing this series, I, I, I travelled more extensively to South America in particular, and the extreme violence that I became aware of that took place inside the prison 
either just before I got there, whilst I was there in Paraguay, there was a murder while I was in the prison. We were attacked by prisoners, but I've built up a really good relationship with the prisoner since I made that episode. I've seen um, footage of a riot that took place in that prison of people being murdered. And I mean, brutally murdered, um, decapitated and horrible scenes. So violence is one of those real negative things. And it's not just me saying these guys are just dangerous, violent individuals. It's about questioning why. Why would they in prison go on to commit such horrendous crimes? What drives these very young men to commit these acts of violence? So that's one side. In other places, the conditions have been so appalling that I cannot believe that human beings are being held in those conditions. And I, I understand that when I take my Western ways, you know, I come from London, I live in London, we have our own challenges to fit how our lifestyles. And then you go to some of these places and they don't have running water. They, they wash in buckets of dirty water. They cook, you know, by lighting a fire. They don't have the amenities to provide proper cooking facilities or prisoners are underfed. They don't get the nutrients that the governments and the prisons should be feeding these. So there is a wide range of things, both positive and negative, that I've experienced during the making of this series that has really shocked me. Equally, you, you, you know, seeing prisoners excel at the opportunities, the minimal opportunities, you know, a prisoner never reading before, being given a book for the first time and then learning to read by reading that book or attempting to read that book either in their language or in another language over and over again over a period of years. And they're very proud of their own achievement. And that was about self-discipline, self, you know, wanting to progress. So there are lots of positives, you know, and Sometimes it's just sitting down with guys who have been in prison for a very long time, but they have a, a positive outlook and all they ask for is support. And you think, well, you're in prison and people will think you're in prison and that's what you're there for, to be punished. Well, being sent to prison is the punishment. Being punished whilst they're in prison by lack of opportunity, lack of activities is in some places the lack of resources and something can be done about that, either locally or globally, something can be done about that. So as I say, it varies really the conditions that I've seen um, and the experiences I've had. And I always talk about one particular incident, Jamie, that that really struck a chord with me. And, and it is one of those basic needs of being fed you, you, you know, poverty exists all around the world and people struggle on the outside as they do on the inside. And it was during the making of the Papua New Guinea episode where, you know, I was having a lot of fun with these guys in the kitchen cooking rice. Now, that's all they get. Their staple diet is rice one at one point in the day and a tin of sardines. And then they get the same diet at a second point during the day. And when we were making this this rice pot on this kind of, you know, prehistoric kind of stove you know it's all very 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 basic um you know we had to stick wood under light the wood i mean on the one hand it's quite romantic but it is prehistoric you know in this day and age where it is simple it was prehistoric but we cooked this rice for these inmates and people who have seen this episode will know where i'm going with this but those who haven't when i finished cooking the rice the you know, prisoners lined up at the kiosk to pick up their, their rice. And I was scooping up rice and putting it in their bowls or, you know, cut containers, whatever it is that they were using to gather this rice. 
And I was giving them probably a little bit more than I should have been giving them because the guy that was working with me kept saying to me, you're giving them a little bit too much rice. And I thought, well, come on, we've got pots of rice here. We'll be all right. But actually, when we got to the bottom of the last barrel, if you like, of the rice and I scooped it and put it in wise, there was at least another 30, 40 guys lined up. And I'm like turning to the guy and saying, where's the next pot? And he said, there's nothing left. And I looked and I said, but these guys here, they haven't been fed. And he said, they won't get fed. And I felt so guilty and so responsible that in my effort to be sympathetic and in my effort to try and feed these guys sensibly, I made a big mistake. I deprived so many prisoners of food and it, it, it lived with me. I just couldn't shake the fact that these guys, instead of kicking off, you know, instead of rioting and saying we're not being fed, they kind of accepted their fate. They'd been conditioned to just accept the fact that they were not going to be fed. And the guy said to me, well, they won't get fed now until later on in the day when we have the second portion. Then these guys just turned away and they hadn't been fed that day. And that can't be right. You know, that cannot be right. Um, and it just felt so uncomfortable for me. I know, I know the scene in the episode that you're talking about, Raf, and I, I thought... <laughs> Still now, I often wonder, off camera, does it really kick off? But what you've just said there, the fact that they've been conditioned and it's almost like that's the way it is. I think this leads on to nicely for us to talk about the foundation and the reasons why. So let me ask you this question. What, what is the Raphael Rowe Foundation? Why have you set it up? I think using that example of not being able to get the basic needs, food, you know, something that... If the authorities themselves don't have the resources financially to support the, the, the feeding of prisoners, then surely local businesses who have access, excess amounts could contribute. They could do something, even if it's financial or it's by giving practical bags of rice that could have made a huge difference. But they don't. There is a disconnect and people just don't want to engage. So that's what drove me. I kept. If, if I'm honest, I kept walking out of some of these prisons, seeing the, the, the conditions, the lack of basic needs, the inability of the authorities to understand what rehabilitation is, the, you know, not just the prisoners, but also the staff who don't have proper uniforms or they don't have themselves food because the prisons don't provide it. They have to, you know, bring in a packed lunch and they can't afford to pay for the packed lunch, you know, so, all of these things culminated in me sitting there one day and thinking, I've got to do more. It's one thing making a program where you're entertaining people and people are given an insight into the balance between security and rehabilitation or conditions in prison. But it's another thing trying to do something more. And so having been into many of these prisons and walked out and not thought about it, and it wasn't something I thought about even when I myself was a prisoner that you can do something. I mean, I'd always been bothered by the lack of facilities or the lack of opportunity for people to educate themselves or to use their time in prison more constructively. And so coming out of these prisons, I thought, I've got to do something. What can I do? Right. I'm going to try and set up a charity where I can maybe convince the local Papua New Guinea manufacturer of rice or importer of rice to donate some of that rice to that prison something simple like that and it kind of snowballed into this mission where I want to provide better facilities for prisoners families victims and staff to have a better chance at reducing the risk of prisoners leaving prison either with mental health issues 
being deprived of any kind of sensory that turns them into the animal that they may become when they leave prison to go on to commit further crimes. But just to change the basic needs, improve the conditions, you know, provide opportunities and activities to ensure that the basic human rights are being met in some of these prisons. And it starts with the mantra of the foundation. So the mission and the value starts with the rethink. So we have this strapline, as you know, called rethinking. It's about changing the authorities' perspective, changing the public's perspective about what prison is about, what the purpose of prison is. It's about making people think differently, that it's not just about locking people up. And that leads to rehumanizing, you know, kind of making these people feel like human beings rather than the the brutal, dangerous criminals or thieves that they are often deemed to be when they're sent to prison by people who don't understand them. They don't understand the world that or the economical environment, the social environment that they've been brought up in. And then obviously during all of that time of you know, changing people's perceptions, rehumanizing, giving people the basic human rights, those individuals will be released. So it's about reintegrate. So rethink, rehumanizing and reintegrating these individuals who will be released back into society, making that transition a meaningful one, whether it's job opportunity or the aspirations to do more than just go back to the life that they led before that led to them being turned to prison. So the mission really is and the reason for setting up the foundation one of the key reasons is to to change the purpose of prison and make it more meaningful so people don't come out of prison and commit further crimes and that is all about preventing the next victim it all comes down to basic human needs water food sanitation and a bed the factors most of us take for granted, especially here in the UK. You can make a change today by visiting raphaelrowfoundation.org and donating funds through the GoFundMe link. Your valuable resources, your time and care really can help someone in their time of need with your support. It changes lives. I was given an opportunity through my own experience becoming a journalist leading me to talking to you today. Your involvement can help the greater good and give an opportunity to a soul who needs it the most. Please visit raphaelrowfoundation.org for more information. Thank you to everyone who has donated so far. It's much appreciated and I see each and every one. Thank you. You can listen to the complete episode on whatever platform you download or listen to your podcasts. Please share this podcast with your friends, family and colleagues. And follow the show for updates about new episodes by just clicking on subscribe. You can also be a part of this podcast by rating and reviewing what you've heard and tell us what you think. More importantly, tell others what you think by leaving some comments and feedback. My book, Notorious, is also available to buy on my website at raphael-row.com. Thanks for listening to Second Chance Podcast. Audio editing is by Audio Avalanche. The original music is by J-Row Productions. The cover design work is by Studio Minerva. Social media creator is Sophie Warner. This episode was produced by Kim Cullicut and me, your host, Raphael Rowe.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.